welcome to the Culinary Saijiki Podcast. My name is Allison Whipple, and twice a month I'll bring you a conversation with a fellow haiku practitioner about the way that food and the seasons show up in their haiku practice. Visit www.culinarysaijiki.com to listen to the podcast, read long-form essays on these topics, and sign up to join the podcast conversation. You can also support the project at buymeacoffee.com slash culinarysaijiki. Enjoy the show. Good evening and welcome to episode 12 with Mark Scott of Naturalist Weekly. This is the season finale. I didn't intend to do seasons when I started this podcast, um, but after I talked to Mark, and I talked to Mark all the way back in October, um, but it just, after that conversation, I was like, this just seems like a great episode to just end a season on and take a little break. So that's literally how I just ended up deciding, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do seasons of this show. I'm recording this intro tonight while I'm waiting for some shrimp to cook for my dinner. And it's a nice chilly night. I've got my Christmas decorations up and it's nice to be cozy and it's nice to be slowing down and taking a break. And even in that slowing down, I'm already getting really inspired for uh, the next season, which I've actually decided I want to focus next season on how food shows up in classical haiku. And I've mentioned on the blog that, you know, Saijiki usually focus on contemporary haiku uh, of the time in which they're assembled. This is also not a, you know, traditional Saijiki, so I'm free to (laughs) do what I want, I suppose. And I am interested now that I've delved into this topic. I'm interested in spending some time really focused on historical haiku and how things got started and what the classical, the food references in classical haiku really do look like. Um, I'm not sure what that's going to mean for the podcast since I obviously, you know, can't talk to any of the people who wrote those, uh, but I'm going to keep doing the podcast. I really love making this show, so I'm just going to take some time for the winter and see what develops and read a lot of haiku, and sooner or later the answer will come to me. Of course, if you have, uh, if you feel you have something uh, to say about food and classical haiku and you want to be on the podcast definitely reach out let me know Uh, i'm also uh, again i haven't put up details yet but i want to start doing some community blog posts uh, in the new year and so if classical haiku and food or agriculture or anything related to that is something that you'd like to write about rather than talk about please let me know um i'm excited to see where this goes uh, one note from my uh, conversation with Mark, the first uh, Basho haiku he reads, uh, he, we sort of debated whether or not it was from the narrow road to Oku, also known as the narrow road to the deep north or the narrow road to the interior. Uh, and yes, it is, uh, although I, I found it uh, a slightly different translation. Uh, my translation uh, comes from, uh, was done by Donald Keene, and I'll just read it for the sake of being able to compare translations. The true beginnings of poetry 
an oku rice planting song. The true beginnings of poetry, an oku rice planting song. It's really lovely. Um, so just to clear that up, uh, so I know that a lot of the time I mentioned things that I'm going to put in the show notes or revisit and then I always forget, uh, but I did remember that and there you go. So uh, if you do want to support the show, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash culinary saijiki. I know I know all of the, I know I owe supporters a uh, double bonus recipe because November just got away from me, but there will be a double recipe offering for December. And uh, be sure to check out culinarysaijiki.com for the community blog post uh, around the theme of harvest that just went up. And uh, actually, uh, I got uh, mostly I got tanka and tanrenga, which is super exciting. So you'll see a nice variety of forms there. Anyway, this has gone on a little long, but I hope you enjoy the talk. I hope you enjoy what's on the blog. And I'll uh, have a little wrap-up on the other side. All right, I would like to welcome uh, Mark to the podcast. Mark is the lead content curator and uh, aspirational naturalist for naturalistweekly.com, which is a blog that is uh, designed to help you connect poetry to the natural world. Um, and it's a really uh, fascinating, uh, for me, I find it a fascinating approach to uh, seasons and haiku, and that is why I wanted to uh, have Mark on the podcast today. Uh, Mark also uh, just generally enjoys learning about the natural world and the stories it tells, and you will get a really great sense of that. So if you're not already following Naturalist uh, Weekly, uh, you should go ahead and do that. And of course, the link will always be in the show notes. So welcome, Mark. Thank you, Allison. That was a wonderful intro. Appreciate <laughs> it. That was great. So uh, for background, uh, one of the uh, things that really drew me to the Naturalist Weekly uh, site was this idea of the micro seasons. And I, I love uh, getting my little email with, uh, you know, your newest post it tells me what the micro season is. So uh, I'm uh, interested in how you got uh, involved with the aspect of uh, micro seasons. And if you could sort of define that more for us, because I think if it's unfamiliar to me, it's probably unfamiliar to some other uh, readers as well, listeners. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, happy to do that. So really interesting. Um, I got there in a really roundabout way. Uh, so... I've always been interested in the natural world, but that is not like where my um, my professional life resides. Uh, so I started like diving into both animal tracking as a skill set and then uh, forest bathing. And it was really kind of this interesting piece where, um, you know, when I would go out and do forest bathing, there'd be an invitation to just like notice what is in movement or notice what is making sounds today. And that was really the start of me just being really trying to tune in to the subtle changes in the environment and then diving into animal tracking as an entry point, but yet pulling that out to like tracking as in everything. So noticing that 
everything in the world kind of shifts and moves and things are pretty cyclical. And then you can kind of see these patterns. And um, I remember one day I was out with my tracking group and we were just kind of out in the woods and it had snowed. And I was like, wow, this seems like a really early time for it to be snowing. And then we kind of thought about it and we said, well, that's really weird. It snowed at this time last year. And then it went away and then it came back. So I was like, oh, that's fascinating. And just through that was part of my entry point where I started backing in and just looking into calendars. And I slowly found all this, like I started tracking back and ended up at this idea of the micro seasons or the 72 season calendar, um, which is fascinating to me. And can you... uh... Real quick, uh, define forest bathing. Uh, I know what it is, but I also am like, well, I just have social circles that would know what that is. And yeah. uh, that's, I don't know how common of a term that is to everyone. <laughs> right, right. So it is not taking a bath in the, sh- in the woods. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we have to say that. Um, I think that's like the, that's, yeah. Shinrin Yoku is, is the, I think that's the, the Japanese way of pronouncing that. And I may have that wrong. Um, but it, it's a, a practice that, um, you usually have a guide, uh, and they kind of set up the scene where the idea is you really slow down. It's like a meditative nature immersion practice where you really just slow down and you are asked to notice there's a grounding, there's an invitation to go do something. And then there's usually a report out of some sort. It's actually, it's super meditative, um, and th- yeah, I'll start stop there because I'm not sure I'm actually conveying it very well. <laughs> I think it's something that you sort of have to experience to really get it. So uh, yeah, everyone should go ahead and try that before it gets too cold. That's right. <laughs> That's, That's right. Yeah. Okay, so we've got uh, you. You've given me a couple of different categories of seasons. We've got our four seasons that are uh, meteorological and astronomical. So things like solstice and equinox. Um, and then you mentioned the 24 seasons or the 24 solar terms. Um, and before I ask you to speak on that a little more, I'm uh, curious, did these 24 seasons, um, do they use, um, a specific, uh, Chinese Zodiac or is there, is this a thing where it's people sort of, um, cause I, you know, I'm like, I'm a millennial on Instagram. So it's like, it's Pisces season. And I'm like, but I'm pretty sure like, that's not, you know, <laughs> what they were using in China. Like, I know that that is, you know, the, the 12 uh, Zodiacs that I'm most familiar with. It's sort of, um, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a, you know, a different place and, uh, not necessarily, uh, entirely overlapping. So I'm curious yeah. about, um, that particular Zodiac that's represented in those 24 seasons. Right. Right. Um, that's really, that's actually a really great question. And, you know, off the top of my head, I am trying to picture the, the, the image that usually comes around with the, uh, the, the solar terms. And I'm pretty sure it's our, the normal, uh, I mean, the one that the, the Zodiac that we're used to, like the astrological signs, I'm pretty sure it follows that. I feel like I saw Aries and, and, you know, Taurus and all that around the outside of that. Um, Versus, I think what you're to like the year of the the rat and those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, this. Of course, I would have to check this, but I think it's the other ones that we are 
familiar with um, that are kind of those those kind of larger pieces. So it the solar terms uh, uses both like the sun and the moon to kind of create this 24 uh, season or 24 solar terms calendar. Um, and it was also kind of an agricultural calendar, but it then it, it was agricultural, but they blended in um, social events into it. Uh, so it kind of worked the two together. So you would have this calendar that would help you uh, kind of not only know where you were in the year, but what events were happening and then where you should like what the planting season should be or what you should be aware of. Um, and I do want to note, uh, cause we haven't mentioned it yet that this calendar um, sort of evolved during the uh, Western Han dynasty, uh, which uh, I am not a history person at all. So mm-hmm. <laughs> feel free to uh, uh, augment that, but that ran from about 206 BCE to 24 common era or AD, depending on, you know, whether you're a trained sociologist, which terms you use. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. And and when I was diving into that, like history part, it was, um, you know, even before that there was actually, there was two seasons. So there was just like this idea where it was tied to the solstice and there was like one season uh, for the summer and then one season for the winter. And then, uh, in between that period and we, where we got to the 24 solar terms, there was uh, another there. Then they added the equinox in there. And one of the things that uh, the question that I have for myself when I look at this is, uh, is this just happened? This was in China that this was happening. And where else like where else did this also happen? Like, was this kind of like evolution of the calendar also happening in different parts of the world? Um, it's really kind of a fascinating question for, for me because I don't know actually where all these calendars like come from and how they come together. And if they followed a similar pattern as like, as, as cultures evolved, do they just like, was it all one? And then it became like winter and summer. And then somebody's like, well, there's a little bit more nuance and let's add the equinoxes as that, you know, we start to learn about that. Yeah. I think that's a fascinating project. And I think that's one that could be just a really rich thing to pursue for several years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at is I'm just like, I'm fairly new at understanding this and I'm really diving into it. And, and uh, yeah, it's just every time I look at something like, you pick up the, the thing, you turn over the, the stone, and then you're like, oh, look at all that. Where is that going to take me? So very cool. And I like what you mentioned about sort of the, the nuance of things because, you know, I grew up with a, there's four seasons and the solstice and the equinox, and this means this. And I don't know, as a kid, I don't know, probably because of my, I don't know, poet sensibility or something. I'm like, but it already feels like summer before it's summer. Uh, (laughs) um, And especially growing up in Cleveland, I'm like, oh my God, you said it's spring, but it's still winter. Uh." (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And I think there is something about these, like um, these 24 seasons, or we'll get into the 72 seasons in a second, that um, is a lot more expansive and it just creates like more room for, yeah, a more layered or nuanced interpretation of what it means to like, I don't know, live in a human body, especially in different parts of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And what I, I fascinated with is, um, you know, what parts like kind of switch over to where I live now. So, you know, this 
ancient China, and then I live in northern Vermont. And like, so I hear something, I look at something, and I'm like, oh, that's weird. And then I go outside, and I'm like, oh, that's actually kind of happening right here. And isn't that fascinating? And of course, that wouldn't happen necessarily if I was live somewhere else. Um, but just seeing that kind of connection is pretty fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. So then we get to these 72 seasons um, in which, uh, and I'm just summarizing here. Uh, this was created in 1685 uh, by the Japanese astronomer uh, Sh- uh, Shibakawa Shunka, uh, in which uh, he uh, split these terms into 72 seasons or co. Um, and so that's my little summary, uh, but you are the one who's been uh, diving into this more. So I'll let you uh, explain those 72 seasons in more detail. Yeah. So it takes, yeah, right. So all these things kind of nestled together, which is really fascinating. So we have the 72 seasons, which are about five days a piece, give or take. And then they kind of fit into the 24 seasons, which are about 15 days. And then they kind of fit into those larger four seasons. Um, and, and like, it is the nuanced piece that's really fascinating about these 72 seasons is how um, how there is really a significant things happen at like um, in a cyclical event, significant things happen that you can almost say this is going to happen right about now. You know, maybe not start on that day, but there are definitely things that happen in these little windows of time in our environment. Um, and noticing those things is uh, it just draws you in and allows you to connect deeper with the earth and kind of your environment around you. Um, and I guess I, I mean, if I can take this opportunity to kind of back up, because one of the things that I noticed is um, our meteorolo- meteorological seasons um, are based on average temperatures, um, which I think is really interesting. And it's almost, for me, there's like a big difference between the connection to the land and our our way in it between those seasons that we use just data to determine like every three months depending on this average temperature is a season versus you know oh right now it is the time when the evening cicadas start singing you know like how different is that than it's you know it's about midsummer you know it's summer or it's the time when the even, evening cicadas start to sing. Like that to me is so different uh, and, and such a different place to, to start from. Yeah. And I think when, you know, when you are aware of these 72 seasons, um, it subdivides it so much. But, you know, I think it's something that one could sort of make a practice of studying and observing. And that will help you, I think, you know, even if you live, you know, in a, a place of the world where these things aren't going to happen the same way. Like, you know, I've lived in Texas for 14 years. Like, (laughs) Um, you know, like the the leaves don't turn red the same way that that they're doing where I am now. Right. But like um, you could even start to develop um, your own sense of these 72 seasons for where you live. And it would really, I think, help you uh, connect to the, just the, the subtlety, like the little ways. Um, so rather than just being like, oh my gosh, all the leaves turned, like just getting to really connect to like all those like tinier shifts. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I've seen quite a few people who have taken on that challenge, kind of like mm-hmm. what you just presented is that this challenge of 
how do you use this framework to like really connect to what's around you? Mm-hmm. Um, and so every once in a while, there's a, a couple people who respond in the blog who are like, oh, that's really nice. My season is like this. And it's perfect though. It's like, of course it is. Like that's what's happening right now. And the fact that you went outside and you were like, oh, wait, no, it's, it's, this is what's happening right now is, is I think part of the, the, the joy of that kind of calendars is that you're looking and you're noticing. Yeah. I think that would be a super fun thing to just say for a year, I'm going to try to do this and see what comes up for me. So yeah, that's everyone's homework for like, (laughs) that's everyone's new year's resolution for 2023. Uh, observe this, all of the, uh, 72, uh, seasons, uh, wherever you live, you know, (laughs) yeah, definitely. That is definitely an aspirational goal for me. Like I've, as I've been working through this is like, I really need to like figure out the pattern that's happening right here that I can kind of create. Um, yeah, because there are some of those things. Like for us, it's sugaring season. You know, talk, if talking yeah. about food, it's like sugaring season happens about the same time. Ice fishing season happens about the same. The the corn is kind of is harvested about the same season. Right now, we are in uh, manure spreading season. <laughs> um, <laughs> we yeah. were out. We're like, oh, it's such a nice warm day out. Uh, perfect day to open the windows and doors, and also. Yep. Perfect day to spread manure. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things that I've been noticing in just working, studying Saijiki in general, not even necessarily related to food is, you know, many Kigo, it's not necessarily inherently one word. It might be two words. It might be a very short phrase. Um, And one of the things that I feel like a lot of times we, you know, those of us who don't practice have a or we have a haiku practice but we're not like steeped in the climate of japan we're like well what are the kigo that fit me and i think that um this might this exercise this practice is a really great way to start to develop like what are the kigo for the place where you live yeah 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 exactly right you can start do you can start determining those and kind of pulling out for yourself yeah yeah, what do you notice that happens and do you happen the same time every year? Yeah. 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 My 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 great regret is that I did not come up like I did not make like it did not occur to me to make a Texas Saijiki, uh just like of all of the like Texas specific Kigo until I was too close to leaving. But I don't know, maybe someone in Texas will like take that on because I would right. like that would also just be a monster of a project because <laughs> Texas is, I don't know, three or four different climates. <laughs> Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> you have northern Texas, mid, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like it's the Gulf Coast and it's the West and it's the Hill Country and it's the Great Plains and it's, mm-hmm. it's and oh, and it's like the deep south. It's like it's you know, part of it like Far East Texas is basically like almost indistinguishable from Louisiana in many ways. Oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a project, right? It's a, exactly. It's a big project, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe people will still let me do that, even right. if I don't live in Texas anymore. <laughs> That'd be fun. Because I need more projects, right? That's Of course, right? <laughs> course. Uh, my partner is not going to just lose it with me having one more project, definitely. Yeah. Like, his patience is infinite for all of my kids. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, all right. So uh, to connect this to food, you've taken us... Uh, in an exploration of um, these micro seasons uh, with using the framework of growing uh, rice, which I love because um, 
it, it that really it's a staple food. <laughs> we all eat it, um, or you know, much of the world eats it. And I think it's a great way to take us through the different aspects of what it takes to plant and grow and uh, harvest and then um, eat. So, uh, you want to start with the uh, spring micro seasons and rice? Sure, sure. Yeah, and so like the yeah the rice definitely has a predominant uh role in these seasons um as you said it's staple and it's also a predominant agricultural crop um and so it takes about six months for rice to grow to go from seed to like harvesting uh which is a fairly long time you know that's half a year right um and there's new lots of interesting things that have to happen. You know, I'm not a rice farmer, so this is just all research that I've done. But the the idea that we need to like, um, you know, we have to figure out like planting and then flooding and then draining and then all these pieces kind of happen. So that's kind of like really interesting to see that mark throughout the season. Um, so springtime is, um, you know, field prep and planting. Uh, and so in that 72 season calendar, um, we have in March, we have plants begin to show their buds, which is really this idea that things start to grow. And then we have in about April, the micro season is called the frost stops and the rice grows. And so one of the first um, kind of haiku that we have uh, is from Basho. Do you want me to just hop in and read that? Hop in and read it, yeah. Okay. And I really love this one. And and uh, uh, it's so it's great. So it's the beginning of all art in the deep north, a rice planting song. The beginning of all art in the deep north, a rice planting song. I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that one, I'm going to say I'm 90% sure that came directly out of the narrow road to the deep north. And I was trying to look into it uh, because it was a, a hoku that was the start of a renge um, during his travels. And, you know, I t- was trying to do a quick, like, before we got on, I was like, I, I, I know I pulled it from somewhere, but then I was trying to link it back. Yeah. I almost think it was from there. I, th- I think you're right know? as well. And uh, don't worry. I'll just, uh, I'll try to make my a mental night to go check my, uh, my copy. Okay. Uh, and see if I can find it in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. Right. So yeah, I really love that one. Um, it's just such a, and such a good place to start on this. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, so you had a couple more um, haiku. Yeah. Um, so the next one I had, I found, uh, is Isa and it was, uh, plowing the fields, plum blossoms get crushed under the feet. Plowing the fields, plum blossoms get crushed under the feet. And this one super fascinates me because you note that the plowing the fields makes it a spring haiku, which is true. Like we have to prep the soil to plant it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I actually like, this is sort of a double key go because plum blossoms is de- like, it, that's also a spring haiku. Um, so it's really, um, I thought that was, I just thought that was interesting to note as we've really got that sort of double, um, 
that double key go in this one. Yeah, right, right. And I was actually, I was doing the same thing as I was reading that. I was like, oh, if I didn't know plowing the fields, I could, <laughs> I could infer what season I was in by the plum blossoms or be- vice versa. Yeah. And it actually, yeah. this haiku also super interests me too, because I think about, um, you know, when you, I think about corn, which is, you know, my partner's from an area where people grow corn and soybeans. And so you see it, at least in the, in the farms that don't like totally just use these crazy processes, um, to just get, so they're to like suck up all the organic matter and then there's nothing to fertilize, but you know, the corn, you end up with like corn husks sticking out of the soil and those like decompose. And that's part of what fertilizes the soil for the next year. Um, and I see that sort of, it's like, this is the flip side. It's like the plum blossoms are blooming, but they're falling, but they're getting crushed. They're getting worked in. And like part of, to me, like part of that prep is like, we're sort of pre-fertilizing with these plum blossoms. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah, no, I totally like it. Right. That's a great, uh, yeah, I love, I love that. It's I mean, like, who knows if that was flower. intentional, right? But like, yeah. that's something I noticed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Love that. Cool. Oh, so you've got some, uh, a Busan one, uh, next. Yeah. All right. So, uh, this one from Busan, it says having caught a catfish, he goes back to rice planting. What a man. Having caught a catfish, he goes back to rice planting. What a man. Yeah. This one just kind of made me chuckle. And I, I had this visual image of, you know, the farmer going there, catching dinner, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then like getting right back to work. Yeah. 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 I know. Absolutely. This is, um, and it's with catfish being um, common in, you know, the American South as well. And, you know, maybe this translation is actually referring to another kind of fish. I don't know, but certainly it's a common fish. Um, and so I, I actually think about like, this has some incredible, like universal appeal to me of like, um, yeah, you, you catch your fish, you cook it up and then you've got to go back to, um, maybe I, I think about my partner worked on, uh, salvage boats in the summers for years and sort of that sort of thing of like, you, uh, although I don't think they like ate anything they caught out of the Mississippi river, but, <laughs> but it was just sort of a, you know, a thing where like you would go, like you could dock like catfish and white bread and hot sauce. Um, and then it's like, and then it's like right back to it. Right back to it. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's also like this part where like how tied into the land or how dependent on the land is that, is that person doing this kind of action. So like getting food now and then planting for food later and just being aware of that kind of cycle that all this is kind of tied together. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You need to plan for the future, but you still need lunch (laughs) exactly still need lunch yeah cool uh Um, and then you've got one more by uh isa in this section yeah 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 um so this is after seeing rice planting in the remote provinces the geese depart after seeing rice planting in the remote provinces the geese depart and then yeah so for this one um so spring again we're spring we're planting rice and the geese are leaving in the spring um you know which 
for me is like, no, they they arrive in the spring, right? So there's this little flip, which is really interesting. So um, the, the the geese in Japan reside in Siberia and parts of um, Siberia in right in the summer, and then they come down into there for for the winter, which is which is fascinating. You know, again, that's just one of those things. Depending on wh- where you live, these things really can change. Yes, and from what I've heard about Japan in the summer, I've still not gotten to go. My postponed COVID trip is still, you know. Uh, but I have heard that it is rather muggy in the summer. So maybe Siberia would just, maybe the geese would just be really happy. <laughs> they just want to get out. Yeah. Summer, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. 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 So, so that was kind of like our spring selection that took us into, you know, plowing the fields and planting rice. And then, um, and then we move into kind of that larger summer season. Um, do you just want to hop, want yeah, me to hop, hop in? Right in. Yeah. Okay. So this is another ESA one um, that I really liked. The rice fields, greener and greener, flute practice. The rice fields, greener and greener, flute practice. So for that, you know, the greener and greener is obviously like a summer kind of reference, right? The, the, the fields are planted and the plants are just growing and becoming greener and greener as they get more mature. The flute practice piece, I, to me, that's just like fascinating. I'm wondering, like, when you hear that, where, where does your mind go? Like, what are you thinking when you hear that? Um, you know, it's hard to say because, you know, certainly I think a fresh shoot, you know, you're not going to make an instrument out of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to cut a fresh shoot. Um, so I think really there's the, the comparison between the roundness of a shoot and the roundness of um, a flute instrument. Um, but it's not exactly a one-to-one. And so maybe I think for me what I'm getting is more of the sonic, like, oh, the spring is coming and we've got like the cheerful music of the flute. Uh, maybe we're coming on to like a summer, you know, festival season. Oh, that I like that. I like that. That So the, the, you know, maybe now the birds are singing and flutes, you know, that kind of just, yeah. Natural song that's out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was also wondering if there's, uh, and I don't actually know this. I wonder if there's like a little bit more downtime during the summer for the rice farmer you know they're the the major manual labor maybe he's hanging out playing the flute for a little bit i don't know (laughs) yeah absolutely i mean and that is oh yeah and my my knowledge of american agriculture is fairly limited but you know for much of the summer there is aside from you know weeding and pest control like the intensive work is in the spring planning and in the fall harvesting and summer there's certainly work to do but it's not as um it's not as intensive and this is why this is a total diversion but this whole like we have to have summer vacation because all the farm kids needed to work. That is a myth because the farm kids all had to work like spring planting and fall harvest. This is in little house in the prairie. So I do not know why this myth like persists, but like, I remember this, you know, being a, like a, a plot point in like little house in the prairie novels. So anyway, <laughs> soapbox over, but like, let's stop blaming farmers for having to like go on summer vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Right. It's so true. There's so much work on either side. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Great. Um, 
Oh, so the next one is also from Isa. Uh, so intermittent rain, no need at all to worry over rice seedlings. Intermittent rain, no need at all to worry over rice seedlings. I I enjoy that. Well, to me that that one also kind of like pulls back to the the fact that you know. Probably rice is, you know, rice is a semi-aquatic plant and it needs water to thrive. So uh, it's an interesting way to phrase it, but it makes total sense, right? But if you get too much water, you also drown it. That's true, right? So if it was heavy debt and maybe like downpours, you're, yeah. You might have a problem. (laughs) You might need to worry. Especially for the seedlings, which to me, it's like, that's when they're sort of at their most, their most fragile. Yeah, you know, yeah. They could be washed away. They could be broken. Things like that. That's true, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So much in these little words, right? <laughs> so much. <laughs> so much. So much. Um. So then we would take that rice crop into autumn. Um, and oh, one, so, real quick. One thing I did want to mention. Yeah. You mentioned in your notes that bamboo shoots are technically edible, but you cannot eat them raw. <laughs> that, that is true. There's a whole section on bamboo shoots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Just so y'all know, boil them and pickle them. But like, if you ever if you ever see pickled bamboo shoots, like in a in an Asian grocery store, um, they're pretty good, like as a pickled thing. But yeah, really? don't, don't eat them raw. I mean, I like them, but you know, you know, anything's delicious with a little, you know, chili sauce, right? That, that is true. That is true. Yeah, yeah. I've never I've never done um, the pickled bamboo or the or the the steamed bamboo shoots. Yeah. I mean, look, it's honestly, if something is pickled, I will probably try it at least once, uh, provided it's not, I can't, I can't deal with pickled pig's feet, which was a thing that my like grandparents and even like my mom and aunts like used to love. That was like a staple at the Italian grocery stores. And I'm like, can't, uh, that's just a step too far. But if it's a pickled plant, I'm definitely on board. (laughs) Yeah. I stayed away from the pickled pig's feet and, uh, Pickled eggs, not a big fan of those either. Yeah, true. I forgot those even existed. I'm yeah, being honest. I haven't. I've blocked them out of my mind. Because <laughs> <they> <laughs> make them every Easter, and they would be like this beautiful, like dyed red because you'd pickle them in beet juice, and like everyone loved them but me. And I'm just like, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have this memory of the pickled eggs at the gas station, um, and. Uh, yeah, no, I never had one, but the fact that they were there on the counter in a big jar it was actually quite fascinating. <laughs> yes. And uh, so moving into autumn, you actually, in your notes, you give me two sections, autumn and late autumn. And uh, do you want to explain the difference between the two? Yeah, right. So um, there's like, yeah, there's definitely this idea of, well, early autumn, the rice is ripening, but not yet ready for harvest. And then late autumn, there's usually the harvest part. So there's those kind of like two, um, kind of two separate, the, the separation there. Mm-hmm. And within there, there's the, the draining of the paddy field, at least the micro season for that, where you are going from being um, ready, not ripe, but not ready to harvest. You drain the field and then you can begin to do the harvest. And you, uh, so for early autumn, you had, uh, you had two Isa haiku. And I like, I do feel like Isa is really one of those that really 
captured a lot of like the the essence of agriculture back then right i know right i know and I always try to like balance, you know, as I'm doing these micro seasons, I'm trying to like, let's make sure we have representation as much as we can. Uh, and Issa's seem to be really prevalent for that kind of nature connection piece. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, so we'll start with all at once, the field is rustling, heads of rice. All at once, the field is rustling, heads of rice. I think this one for me also has that potential connection to just about any kind of large agricultural field. There's that point where, you know, the, the grains or whatever get to a certain height and they start to dry and then you can just start hearing them as the wind blows. Yeah, absolutely. Very kind of like noticeable up where we are with the corn, you know, as, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, corn fields have that definite distinct po- point in the, uh, in the season. No, absolutely. Um, and I, I feel like you almost can get that with uh, trees as well. Like there's just a point when all of a sudden like it's spring or it's fall and everything has just gotten windier. Right, right. Yeah. There's also, you. I think you're right. There's that pickup in the, the as the seasons change, the, 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 the weather changes too, right? So the mm-hmm. wind kind of picks up too. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, should I hop on to the next one? Yeah. Okay. So the next one is uh, rice field water saying many goodbyes. It returns to the spring. Rice field water saying many goodbyes. It returns to the spring. And I love that. And of course, we're working with translation, right? right. And I'll, I'll mention all the translators in the show notes. Um, I actually might have to just do a whole blog post because of character <laughs> limits. Um, but um in this translation, you know, it returns to the spring. So I think literally it's like you've drained the rice field. It's going to go back underground. It's going to go into whatever spring um, is under there, like feeding all of the, the, you know, the rivers and everything and feeding the fields. Um, but, you know, that word spring in English means two things. Um, and, and so it, you know, not only is it the water returning back to where it came from, but it's it's like oh and you know what it's we, we're still gonna have to get through winter but we're we are gonna go back to spring again this is gonna start all over <laughs> right right yeah 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 what I I liked when I actually read that is um, I actually in my head before I read it out loud to you I think I left out the word it you know <laughs> so we're st- and then my my brain automatically said, thought it said returns in the spring. Hmm. That's where I put it, which is like, then the water comes back, you know, which I think you were. Yeah. So that's so interesting. And that word, it kind of like it returns to to the spring is actually, I really like that too. Right. So all those ways that, like you said, in translation, and I wonder what the, some of the other translations might say about that specific one. That would be really interesting to see. It would. Yeah. And this is, this is where translation, I think studying work in translation is also an incredibly fruitful practice which is good because you know uh, <laughs> that's all many of us have <laughs> Especially, right. you know like you know ancient ja- classical japanese and contemporary japanese are not even you know necessarily the same um but to compare different translations you know even if you yourself are not an expert um 
seeing how different translations work as poems, I think is just a wonderful, uh, wonderful way to learn. Yeah, right, right. And I, I find I have several documents that are just multiple translations of a single haiku by different people. And you read down and you're like, it's really kind of, you know, some of the themes are still there, mm -hmm. but it, it's kind of all, it can be all, you can read it, can it and just like land places. in totally different places. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. how did you get there? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So um, we have two for uh, from Basho from us for late autumn. That's right. That's right. Um, so we'll start with um, a weathered temple, blossoming peach and hulling rice, just one old man. A weathered temple, blossoming peach and hulling rice, just one old man. That's, that's a beautiful image and i it's uh, to me uh an interesting contrast to um uh issa's uh, oh no that was busan sorry that was busan having yeah. caught a catfish he goes back to rice planting <laughs> right I mean. and certainly like busan's was written later you know much much later um but it's to, to me in, in busan's it's you know maybe a you know, maybe it's an old, old man, but I sort of picture like a young man, like, you know, going about his day, catching fish, cooking it, going back to work. Um, um, and he, here it's a, a, a rather different image of maybe someone a little hunched, um, mm. he's alone. Um, mm. the peach is really interesting. Cause I think that provides like this contrast of like brightness and youth. Um, and it, it's still, you know, like, in many ways, it is still like, what a man. Like, this old man is still like hulling rice at the temple, yeah. doing what needs to be done, chop wood, carry water, um, all of yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's a, a sort of a flipped image almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really like that that part that where you're saying, like, we have, a, you know, the older temple, the younger peach, we're hulling rice, which is like in middle of transition from, you know, seedling to food and then the old man who's kind of in that whole environment just kind of being and working this kind of uh, yeah it's fascinating yeah. all those images coming together Absolutely. i like what you said about the blossoming peach about like almost that that direct contrast is very cool yeah that's interesting yeah um because it really like hulling rice is a specific season um so but the blossoming peach seems out of you know place um and so you know i don't have the original poem uh in front of me so i'd be really interested i'm like is this a translation thing is this how it actually was and was was Bashot doing something interesting and you know just deliberately putting in something out of place like i'm i mean or was there literally i don't know some out, like things blossom out of season sometimes yeah. you know like yeah. was this a weird seasonal you know was this a <laughs> weird weather phenomenon yeah. yeah 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 i wonder right yeah I have no idea. <laughs> I have no answer for that one. <laughs> and then uh, I miss I miss uh, read uh, my notes, but uh, the the next uh, Basho poem is actually uh, in winter. 
Uh, you know, a time when again, not in, in, you know, in summer there's, there's agricultural work, but it's not as intensive. And in winter, um, I mean, my partner likes to joke that like winter is when the farmers go and just sit in diners and drink coffee all day. <laughs> not, <laughs> not all, but like, it's, I think it's kind of a thing. Uh, yeah. so not a lot to do. So what do we, uh, what do you uh, have for winter in, uh, in these, uh, yeah. in this? Yeah, great. Yeah, again, another Abasho. Um, dawn moon, close to the end of the year, pounding rice. Dawn moon, close to the end of the year, pounding rice. Um, yeah, so the pounding rice, I had I had to look this up because I was like, what do you do? Why are you pounding rice? Right? What does that mean? <laughs> Uh, so it's mashing rice for dumplings yeah. that were um, used in soup for the new year. So that definitely puts that one, you know, and it says near the end of the year. So those definitely kind of tie that in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And certainly I, I think, um, you know, the rice has been harvested. It's been hulled. It's, I don't know, it's been, you know, dried. So certainly if you're stuck inside in winter and there's not a lot else to do, like, yes, this is when you go and you like pound your rice and make your rice flour and, and, you know, all, all of that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's bringing you to the the, close to the end of that kind of cycle. Right. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Um, And then we had this one last one um, that's kind of like this transition, which would almost send us back to the spring, this um, winter to spring kind of edge one by Basho. Uh, which is spring begins, new year, old rice, 10 quarts. <laughs> spring begins, new year, old rice, 10 quarts. Uh, yeah, I found that one. That was, <laughs> I feel like this one, uh, I could write a similar one about like um, our root vegetables. You know? mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like something about the damn potatoes. Like, <laughs> um, Or it's, I mean, and so you mentioned in your note that you're guessing that Basho is celebrating the new year and counting the rice that is left from the last season. Yeah. Um, and so maybe it is like, oh, these root vegetables, I'm so tired of eating them. Like that yeah. could be like, because definitely you get sort of, you know, <laughs> I think especially if like you have to live off the land and you don't have a lot of options, you're probably like super tired of your root vegetables by the time spring happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, or, but it's also, you know, spring begins, it's a new year. And like, look at all this abundance you still have. Like, look at what the like old year gave you that you can carry on to sustain you um, into the new year, especially because, um, you know, spring is not, you know, stuff is getting planted, but it's not necessarily like we don't have the abundance of summer produce. We don't have the abundance of the fall harvest. Um, but hey, look, we still have like, last fall's harvest to carry us through yeah yeah right right yeah no that's that's great um and if you were living on like if you were living just with the land i guess like if you could look in your cabinet and see 10 quarts of rice that would probably be hopeful yeah 10 quarts Uh, is a lot of rice (laughs) actually you're thinking about that's a lot of rice i'm like i wonder how much i'm just gonna go and and google uh like uh let's see like what is uh the weight of ten quarts of I'll just put grain, um different grains uh uh so apparently uh well it depends on different things 
but uh, a a quart could range apparently anywhere from half a pound to two pounds. So, um, okay, you know, so if we're talking, if we're saying let's, you know, ten pounds. Of, so let's just say like a quart of rice is a pound of rice. Um, oh, this apparently says one quart of this is white long grain rice, which is not short grain, but um, apparently a uh, one dry quart of of white long rice equals about, you know, uh, just under two pounds. So like, let's, you know, so 10 quarts, that's 10 to 20 pounds of rice. That's, that's going to carry you through. <laughs> that is, that is going to carry you through. That's a lot of rice. Yeah. As someone yeah. who like once bought a 20 pound bag of rice and then just was like, Oh my God, <laughs> yeah. I didn't have to buy like, I and you know, I don't have like a family, like I don't have kids or anything, but it was, it was no. this is like rice, like for me and my partner for like two years, we did not have to buy rice and yes. we eat a fair amount of rice. Like maybe not the level that like, you know, Japanese people eat rice, but yeah. you know, yeah. it shows up usually like at least once a week. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I'm actually thinking we, we, we bought the same large bag mm-hmm. of rice and I would come and I would like take my one cup scoop you know, I take one cup out. I'm like, this is not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> you know, yeah. one cup for like three meals, and we're good. And oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and especially because, you know, like rice is not something that necessarily keeps super well. Like you can definitely give yourself like food poisoning from old rice. Yeah. Uh, I accidentally definitely gave myself food poisoning from old rice once because I I did not know that this was a thing that could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it wasn't terrible, but it was you know suboptimal um so you know i started cooking just i'm like okay what is the exact amount we need for this meal yeah. yes yes <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah yeah so <laughs> especially with a good rice cooker it's just like it's so much easier to just be like this is the amount for this meal and when there's leftovers i'll just make fresh for the leftovers right right yeah it's such a versatile food like you said in the beginning like rice we can use so many places um and and, you know, for me, like going back to this kind of idea, it, it finds itself in all these haikus in different parts of the year, which I also think is like fascinating. And um, as we were talking, like, is there the same, is there a food staple that I am really familiar with that I could do the same thing with? You know, I just always wonder about that. Is there something in the Northeast that I could kind of travel and probably just about anything? To I say. mean, I don't know how well potatoes grow up there. But, yeah. you know, they go pretty good. They yeah. go pretty good. I mean, for people who can grow potatoes, for me, I don't know. Not, <laughs> not so good. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I think one of the, the, the haiku I shared on your, um, on your open mic night mm-hmm. um, was probably the best looking plant that I had was a squash plant that was growing out of our compost bin. Yeah. Like I was like, this is oh, our yeah. best plant all year. This is oh amazing. yeah. I had that one year. It was just great. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah. 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 Well, all right. Well, this has been, uh, I have loved this chat. Um, I think it's going to be a great way to wrap up the uh, first season of the show. And so thank you for coming on and talking to us about classical haiku and the micro seasons. Yeah. Allison, thank you so much. It has been a lot of fun. Um, and I really appreciate just talking about these and kind of, learning learning with you about some of these haiku that i just love the other ways to see what's written down and kind of what's shared so thank you very much thank you to mark scott for being my season finale guest 
I had such a great time with that conversation, and I'm sure you could tell. And I'd like to thank all of the rest of my season one guests, Agnes Ava Savage, Krista Pandy, Claire Vogel Camargo, Christine Wank Harrison, Lorraine Patton, Matt Defebo, writing with Christina Chin, Jennifer Hambrick, M.A. Dubs, and Jerome Berglund. I couldn't have made this podcast without our conversation, so thanks to all of you for taking a risk and just jumping in on this project with me. Thanks also to my first round of uh, coffee buyers for season one, Jeff Pope, Pamela P., Lorraine, M.A. Dubs, Peter Schmidt, and Anonymous. Uh, I really appreciate your support. It really means a lot that you believe in this project. All right. That is, I'm just going to call that uh, season one. I hope you have a restful wrap up to 2022. I hope 2023 starts off well. And of course, I hope you get to eat some delicious food in the meantime. Thank you for listening. Thank you.